Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Hi everyone. Yeah, I'm Lauren um, and I'm the kids and families pastor here and I'm also a site pastor in the evening service. So it's, it's lovely to be with you here this morning. And today we're continuing uh, our series in the book of James, where we've been making our way through the book. And we're almost there. We're almost at the end now. And we've had lots of practical tips from James um, written to the Jewish audience at the time. Um, But we've also been seeing how they apply to us today just as much as they ever have. So James uses the teaching of his half-brother Jesus and his own God-given wisdom to give some practical teaching on what it means to live as a Christian. And James was also a church leader. He was a leader in the persecuted church in Jerusalem. So he was able to see what the struggles of the people in the church were and speak directly into those situations, reactions and lifestyles. And all of them apply to us and our church today too. So we're in chapter five of the book of James, if you want to get it out in your Bibles or on your phones. And uh, James is writing about patience in suffering. So that's our topic for today. So we're starting at verse seven and finishing in verse 12. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. All right. There are just six verses here, but a lot that we can pick out. So we're going to go through it together. And I've got four Ps for us to help us out. So we've got patience, prattling, perseverance, and plain speech. All right. So let's start with patience. And yeah, it's the first two verses. So be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. All right. So patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, problems or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. So patience is more than just waiting. It's being able to wait well. So who here, hands up, would say that they're generally a patient person? That's that's not very many people. Okay. (laughs) Who would say that they're impatient? All right, slightly more. Okay, a lot of people are choosing not to answer that one. (laughs) So as I've been thinking about this, um, it's been interesting to notice what I have the least patience for. So if I know a bus is coming at a certain time, or I have a date in the diary for the next holiday, or I've scheduled in some time with a friend, then I find it quite easy to be patient. I know the time that I have to wait for, I can plan what I do before and afterwards, and I can get excited for what is coming. 
The difficulty for me comes when something goes wrong. Or I don't know when something is going to happen, but I still need to wait for it. Or maybe there's an unjust situation that I need to wait for justice in. And that can be hard to wait for, especially if people are suffering in the waiting and I've been praying for a long time. I want to start to take control to find alternative solutions or do something to hurry up the process, all because I'm uncomfortable being patient. And I know it's not just me who finds it hard to be patient. We live in an impatient society. If we can't get something or go somewhere in a time frame that's quick and convenient for us, we complain, we get annoyed, or we look for other options. Three to five working days for delivery? Nah, it's got to be next day, hasn't it? We'll pay more for the convenience so we don't have to be patient. We've got used to avoiding having to be patient, and guess what? It makes it harder for us to be patient. And impatience often leads to doing things that we regret. We might do a risky overtake in the car. We might interrupt someone when they're sharing something with us. We might act on a change we know is coming too soon and we aren't ready for it yet. We might make a big decision without praying about it and considering it properly. In all of these, we're acting out of our impatience, thinking that we know best and often the consequences aren't what we hope. Tom Wright says, a hasty, impatient spirit is another form of pride, of the human arrogance that imagines it knows better than God. We may not realise it at the time, but often our impatience comes out of pride, out of thinking we know best, and often, yeah, thinking we know what's best for us, or what's best for the situation. And in this passage, James uses an analogy of a farmer waiting for the land to yield its crop. Every year, the farmer had to wait patiently for rain. They had no choice but to wait. And waiting for rain was what was required to survive and ensure the survival of the people around them. They had to rely on God sending the rain, surrendering to his timings. And the farmer knows that the rain will come eventually which makes the waiting easier to endure. We know that God's timing is sovereign and the best, which should bring us comfort and strengthen us to endure the waiting. We know that Jesus will return and make all, new, all things new and right, bringing suffering and pain to an end forever. James's readers, the persecuted Christians, through this analogy could therefore be encouraged to be patient because of the certainty of Christ's return. And Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Just as God is faithful in sending rain to a farmer, we can trust that he will be faithful in bringing justice at the right time. And that's something I realised when I was reading this part of the passage. Patience comes from trust. If I trust that someone will come to meet me eventually, I have a lot more patience if they're late. If I don't trust someone, my waiting will be much more anxiety-filled and grumpy. Will they come at all? So if we want to grow in patience, we need to grow in trust, and especially trust in God. 
If we can trust that God is faithful and will be faithful and that he has a plan for us despite our suffering, we can trust that he will get us through the storms. Even if he doesn't take them away, only then can we have patience. He's working in our waiting and we can be sure that it will be made right in the end. And James encourages us to stand firm as we await the justice to come. Sam Albury writes, Christians awaiting the justice to come are to do everything they can to strengthen and buttress their faith in God. We're invited to deepen and widen our faith in Jesus in the waiting. James says we can be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. But what does that mean? What it doesn't mean is that Jesus will definitely return tomorrow or definitely very soon. Think of it like a long car journey. If you've been driving for nine hours and you've only got 45 minutes to go, you're nearly there. Not much else stands in your way. But if the journey was 50 minutes to start with and you've got 45 minutes to go, then you probably wouldn't say you're nearly there. You've only just set off. So nearness means that little now stands in the way of all of God's promises being fulfilled. We're at the final stages of the timeline, in the last chapter of God's big story of the kingdom. We've got a diagram here. We're in that little bit just at the end. Just look how much has gone before in that little bit just at the end. Jesus' return is the final part of the plan. So we're in the last days before that. Jesus could return at any moment. But we have also been praying for Jesus' return for almost 2,000 years. Every generation from when Jesus ascended into heaven has had to learn to be patient. And I think that's why patience is a fruit of the Spirit. We need it. We need to trust that just as Jesus came as Messiah for the Jews after so many years of waiting, saving us all from sin and death, he will come again and make everything right, just as he's promised. So let's learn to be patient both when it comes to Jesus' return and in our day-to-day. Let's focus our attention on God and trust in his sovereignty. His timing is much better than ours, even if it doesn't feel convenient. So what gift might God be blessing us with in the traffic jam? What blessings can we notice when we're waiting for the power to come on after a power cut? What might God want to teach us as we wait to act on something? We must be humble and trust that God knows better. Okay, let's move on to the next part of the the passage. Talk about prattling now. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Grumbling is what happens when we don't stand firm and wait well. We prattle on about things and waste our time complaining. And I'd like you all to know that I was writing this section whilst I was on a train Uh, my train was delayed, I was going to miss my connection, and the air conditioning was pumping out hot air instead of cold. So I was writing this about grumbling, surrounded by people, and my heart was also wanting to grumble also. Uh, So it did bring me a bit of amusement, actually. It helped a bit. So James is telling us not to grumble against one another. Why? Because we will be judged. Not only that, but the judge is standing at the door. Have you ever been complaining about someone and then that person has walked in? 
Or even worse, they could hear the whole conversation without your knowledge and you only find out afterwards. That's what James is calling to mind here. If you'd known that they would walk in or here, would you be complaining? Jesus is the judge. He's so close to returning that he's at the door. He's got his hand on the door handle, ready to enter. And it could be at any time. This should make us want to live the best we can so that we're always trying to be ready for our judge to return. We need to speak to each other in a way that we would not be ashamed of if Jesus walked in. And our world today is really great at judging, isn't it? As soon as anything happens, we're very quick to voice our opinion, make assumptions of the motives and speculate on what will happen next or what justice the person or situation deserves. Remember the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial? Millions of people across the world spent weeks making judgments over who was at fault and whether the result of the trial was just or not. And that's the judgment of the world. Making judgments based on what we know, which is rarely everything. Making judgments on guilt or what someone deserves based on what seems to have happened. We often condemn them or even cancel them and we think we know what they deserve or don't deserve. I know I fall into the trap of making assumptions about people and judging them all the time. I'm good at spelling and I love to proofread. And I know that it's because how my brain is wired and that some people's brains are wired differently and spelling is just not something that they're naturally good at. However, if I see someone has made a spelling error or even just a typo, I really struggle not to point it out or make a joke of it, judging their spelling abilities. I'm judging that person by how good they are at spelling, which, let's be honest, doesn't really matter anyway. <laughs> it does matter, does it, Kat? All right. <laughs> Judgment of others is a way of separating ourselves from others and placing ourselves above them. We're making ourselves feel more worthy in comparison, which is, put bluntly, idolatry. Life in the kingdom of God means that we're all equally worthy and loved by God. So judging others means we're not living out this truth in our lives. Thankfully, Jesus is the only judge that matters. All of those who follow Jesus will stand as righteous and perfect in every way before God when they die. Because Jesus, our saviour, died in our place and through his grace and mercy wiped all our sin away and gave us life forever with God. Jesus took the judgment and condemnation that we deserve for us. We're not condemned, and so we have no right to judge others. Only Jesus, the ultimate judge, can do this. And he has all of the context, all of the information, and wants to reward all those who have lived for him. His is the only truly just judgment, yet also full of love and grace. Jesus said, don't judge so that you won't be judged. For with, for with whatever judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with whatever measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And he also said, so you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We must wait well, like the wise virgins in the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. We must extend to others the love full of grace and mercy that God gives to us. We must do our best to be prepared, ready to look Jesus in the face when he comes. His opinion of us 
is the only one of eternal significance. And when Jesus returns, he will bring his perfect justice. We can do our best to do the right thing and bring justice in the situations within our control, but we also have to trust God to bring his perfect justice to situations outside of our control. And let's not forget that Jesus is with us now through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is with us in everything, knows our every thought and motivation, so we can't hide from him anyway. There's no use in spending our time complaining. Let's use that energy to make a difference how we can and trust God with the rest. So we've talked about the importance of patience and, we've, and how prattling on uh, at and about each other doesn't end well. So let's look at the next part of the passage, which talks about perseverance. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So we've talked about how impatience can lead us to doing things that we regret, but it could also lead us to inaction. It can lead to giving up. We can miss out on the good things that God has for us when we give up and stop persevering when times get hard. Taking the easy way out can be rewarding in the short term, but often we're missing out on gifts that God has for us that will benefit us in the long term. Gifts that only happen as a result of persevering and relying on God through the hard times. I used to be terrible at dealing with change, especially last minute changes. This, coupled with struggling with the unknown of new things, meant that I used to find it really hard to try new things, go to new places, or even change my routine. This meant that I found a lot of aspects of the pandemic really hard. My routine was out of the window, I had to change lots of plans very last minute, and I had lost all of the comfort I found in normality and reliable plans. However, because of the lack of choice in the matter and the fact that I still had a job to do, I knew I just had to persevere and get on with it. I had to trust that God had a plan for me and the whole situation and that he tells us not to worry about tomorrow because that doesn't help us now. So I made the choice and I just got on with it. And there was so much blessing, so many gifts. I'm much less anxious now than I used to be. New things and change are still not comfortable, but I'm much better at dealing with them than I was a few years ago. I would not have had the confidence or courage to be standing up here had God not given me the opportunity to persevere and learn through the challenges of the pandemic. God's mercy and compassion have been clear to see for me as I look back on that time. And I'm grateful for the hard times and the gifts that they've brought me when I've relied on God. So James talks about the prophets in this section and the prophets all suffered in God's name. Being one of only a few people who could hear from God and communicate it it, must have been lonely and isolating, and it left them vulnerable to persecution from those who disagreed with them or weren't ready to hear what God had to say. Prophets such as Jeremiah called Israel to repent, but they didn't listen to him. They rejected him, imprisoned him, and abused him for bringing them God's truth and not wanting to hear it. And Job is another example of someone who persevered in suffering, living through everything but his own life being taken from him. But Job's sufferings were not the end of the story. And God blessed Job for his perseverance through his compassion and mercy. 
Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. We heard that earlier in the book of James. And the prophets are such good examples of this because they didn't just endure their suffering, but they spoke in the name of the Lord, ministering to God's people within their suffering. They didn't wait until the suffering stopped to start their ministry. They responded to their suffering with patience. And James, throughout his book, illustrates that trials are the means by which God grows our faith and deepens our dependence on him. They're a necessary part of our Christian life and always have been. Therefore, we need to do all we can to have God's perspective on our suffering, trying not to resent the suffering, to see how God may bless us through it, giving us patience to endure and bless others too. We actually need trials, I think, to grow in our relationship with God. We can't learn from our mistakes if we never make any. We won't rely on God if we never struggle and are able to do everything in our own strength. So let's pray for perseverance in our suffering, in the big things and the small, and for God's perspective on it. So final P, plain speech. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Interesting how James uses the phrase above all. So this last bit is really important in James's eyes. So let's pay attention. James, like in much of his book, is referencing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in um, Matthew 5 here. He's talking about simple, truthful speech. So when we pray for patience and practice it, we will be more patient in our spirits, hearts and minds. And this means our patience will affect how we act and how we speak. Another running theme in James is the power of the tongue and how hard it is to tame. If we're quick to, quick to speak, speaking out of our impatience, we're shooting ourselves in the foot, undermining any work that we have done on growing our patience. And it's easy for our tongues to betray us. James isn't actually talking about swear words or being rude to each other here. He seems to be focusing on the use of oaths and promises when we're, when we're interacting with people. So a lot of us will have heard the phrase, let your yes be yes and your no be no before. So James is highlighting the kind of promise we make when we swear on someone's life or we make an oath on, in someone's name to illustrate how much we mean it or how reliable it is. So James is making the point that oaths shouldn't be necessary. We shouldn't need to emphasise the truthfulness of something we've said because everything we say should be truthful and trustworthy. Our word should be enough to be believed. Would you call yourself a trustworthy person? Do people take you at your word? It's a challenging thing to think about. Maybe you're in a relationship with someone where you make pinky promises. But if you make that promise and then something happens that means you can't follow through or you change your mind and you don't keep the promise, what happens then? What will you have to swear by next time for that person to believe that you'll do it? Our words need to be enough, or there will never be trust. I think this also highlights the power of the words yes and no, and how easy it can be to tell half-truths and exaggerate. We've all exaggerated a story to make it sound more exciting or funnier than it actually was. I'm sure we've all told a half-truth that paints us in a better light than the whole truth, or posted about something on social media that doesn't show our situation in its true light. 
we can all fall into the trap of misrepresenting others in a story to make them sound like the bad guy when we want the person listening to take our side. Or maybe we say yes to coming along to a party to appease someone, but actually never intend to go. These examples are not the examples of speaking with integrity that James is talking about. James says that if we don't speak with integrity, we will be condemned. So there will be negative consequences. So this is a serious matter. And how we speak can have much greater consequences than we realise. Just like how Paul said a few weeks ago that he could still remember something that someone said to him decades ago. It's easy to see why James wants this to be the instruction that we heed above all in this passage. Our words are important and must be trustworthy without the need for a promise. So let's take James's advice and be patient. Let's wait well, turning our hearts to Jesus and praying through our troubles so that we're not prattling on. Let's open our hearts to the gifts and blessings that can and will be found in trials and cultivate a heart of patience so that we're speaking plainly and recognising that our words matter. So in a minute, we're going to move on to a time of response. If we could have the band start to come up, that would be great. So if you can, uh, if you're able, would you stand up? And just take a second, and we're going to have a, have a song to give us some time to chat to God. Take a second to reflect on what's stood out to you today. Often when we feel a nudge on something, or feel uncomfortable when something is said, or feel fired up when we hear something, often that's the Holy Spirit trying to tell us something. And you can ask him to bring that to mind now. And then after the song, we're going to have some time to pray and hear from God. So come, Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.